You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Behind Enemy Lines, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Listen in as we go in-depth with beat writers that cover Tiger opponents. What's the vibe around their team? What are the matchups to watch out for? Who will win the game? All these questions will be answered. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of Behind Enemy Lines. This is episode number eight. And I'm excited because we've got uh, Gary Smith is the beat writer for uh, the Tulane football team for NOLA.com. He also is the publisher for the Wave Report um, covering the uh, Tulane uh, athletic department. Uh, we got Gary on with us today, man. What's going on, Gary? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. It's it's, uh, it's a different feeling covering a six and one football team at at, at Tulane. It's it's been, it, it, it's it's been a few decades. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you because before we you know started recording, you mentioned that not only are, have you been covering the team since two thousand and twelve, two thousand and eleven, but you grew up in New Orleans. Your parents are mm-hmm. your parents are former students at Tulane. You went to yeah. games at the old Tulane Stadium back in mm-hmm. the day as a child. Like, what is it? What has it been like? this year specifically covering a, a team that's very clearly having a historic season in, in terms of, of the success they're having. Well, in terms of the home crowds, the crowds haven't arrived yet because usually that's a one year process. Tulane had such a rough year last year going, going two and 10. And then they had some momentum after beating Kansas state and had a decent sized crowd against Southern Miss. And that was the one game Tulane lost this year. So there weren't really that many people at the East Carolina game this last week. And I'm, I'm expecting a big uptick. This is homecoming for Memphis. I think you're going to see a much, much bigger, bigger crowd th- this Saturday, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's just always, as you know, it's easier covering a team that's winning <laughs> than a team that's losing. It gets, it gets, it gets, it gets tough. I mean, there, there's, there's only so many things you can ask, um, <laughs> in a in in a year like Tulane had last year, when, when honestly Willie Fritz thought he had his best team going into last year, and then all hell broke loose with the hurricane Ida that forced Tulane to evacuate to Birmingham for a month. They never really regained their equal equilibrium off of that. They returned almost everybody from that team, and so you're you're, you're seeing the the fruits of that this year. You can you can basically just throw out what happened last year, but this is still a huge jump, six and one, from what Tulane was doing three years before that, which was basically going six and six and barely qualifying for bowl games. I mean, it's crazy. You think about the the last couple of years, specifically in college football, college sports as a whole, with the pandemic, with COVID, with the restrictions and everything that was in place there, and then in terms of you know. New Orleans being where it is located, you know, getting hit with a another hurricane, you know, Hurricane yeah. Ida last year, 
is it is it surprising to you? Like, what does it tell you about this team that they were able to kind of come back from that, right? Yeah, it's not surprising to me that they came back from it, but I can't, I'd be lying if I said I foresaw what's happened with the six and one record. I picked Tulane to go seven and five before the year started, but I also said I thought they could go anywhere from four and eight to eight and four, just looking at the schedule. And I and I, I said that, you know, Houston was a sure loss, Kansas State was a sure loss, and Cincinnati was a sure loss, and they were going to have to do well in the other game. They're two and oh in those sure losses that I, I picked at the beginning of the year. Um, and, and the real the, the real breakthrough win was the Kansas State game because Kansas State's a good team. And Willie Fritz in his coaching career had never beaten a power five conference team, no matter where he was. He'd come close a lot of times, came close to beating Oklahoma last year. But Tulane went into Manhattan, Kansas, and just was the better team that day and really physically beat Kansas State at their own game. Just um, stopped Deuce Vaughn, who'd, who'd had 10 straight 100-yard games, shut him down, um, stopped Adrian Martinez's run. Nobody else has been able to do that really this year. And that was, that just, we'd never, we, that physical ability to hang with a team like that and just beat a team like that at their own game was something I had not seen before from Tulane. That was really the time that I realized, hey, this could, <laughs> this could really be a different season for this, for these guys. Was Tulane active in the transfer portal over the off season? Yeah, yeah. more so than in the past. And, and, and I just wrote a big feature on that last week. They, this time they really hit on the portal. They had, they got 10 guys from the portal and nine of them are huge contributors on this football team. That, that That's a huge difference. I think the key guy they got if out of them all is Patrick Jenkins was a New Orleans kid who was a big recruit coming out of high school, went to TCU, played a lot at TCU, wasn't a full-time starter. Um, but he came in and this was after Jeffrey Johnson, who was a four-year starter for Tulane and also a huge recruit left in the portal to go to Oklahoma. First guy they've really ever lost a significant player in the portal. And they play the same position. They don't, they're not the same type of player, but I actually think that, that Patrick Jenkins is a better player. He, he, he defends the run and the pass. Um, he doesn't take plays off like Jeffrey Johnson did at times. Jeffrey Johnson was a little heavy, would, would, would get tired at times and just having, when you have a guy like that in the middle, it makes all the difference in the world. And two lanes of run defense has just been outstanding this year. And it all starts with what your defensive tackles are doing. Um, but, it, but it's not just him. <laughs> They're two best wide receivers. Day-Day McDougal from Maryland. He played with Michael Pratt, Tulane's quarterback, in high school. And they're, they're best friends. He went to Maryland, didn't have a lot of success there. He came, he transferred to Tulane specifically to play with Michael Pratt. And Lawrence Keyes, another New Orleans um, product who went to Notre Dame, had some injury problems there. He came back. The wide receivers this year, that's the most improved position on the team. I, I would say last year, Tulane might have had the worst set of wide receivers in terms of performance in the FBS. They just, they couldn't, they just couldn't get the job done and they've gotten just incredibly better. And so that's three guys and they've they, they got six more guys contributing. So it, it was huge. And they've, they've, they've done the portal before, but they've never had anywhere even remotely close to the impact that they, that they had this year. Well, how important, how important has it been for Tulane to be able to go into the portal, add, like you said, yeah. 10 players and none of them with yeah. none of which are, are, you know, being our contributors on the field this year, but bringing mm -hmm. back a quarterback like Michael Pratt, who mm -hmm. was an all is an all conference preseason all conference quarterback, just you know one of the one of the standards in the AEC in terms of quarterback play. What has his play been like this year? Has he have you seen a development in his game even more so? Yeah, he was up and down earlier in the year, um, but the last two games he's had he had a career high in passing. Um, 
against uh, uh, against Houston, and no, he didn't play against Houston, but he's had a career high in passing in two straight in two straight games against East Carolina, and then he broke it again against South Florida. He was not healthy last year. He he took a some hellacious hits against Oklahoma, then went into the Ole Miss game, and in the last play of a total blowout, last play he played of a total blowout, he got he landed on his shoulder. And he played through the shoulder injury the rest of the year, but he wasn't the same guy. And that that's another reason that Tulane fell off the table last year because he he was just not he couldn't be effective because he wasn't healthy. He's healthy now. Um, he, he hurt his shoulder again and missed the Houston game, but it turned out it wasn't a significant injury. And like I said, he's come back and had his his two best games. He was always a terrific leader. Um, and and yeah, at Tulane in the past, they've had guys who were at Tulane for various reasons. One, it was a chance to play where they might not be able to play somewhere else. And two, sometimes their parents wanted them to get that degree. They didn't have those unbelievably competitive die-to-win guys, and that's what Michael Pratt is at quarterback. So that's that's huge to start with, but now he, he's playing like that. He, he's playing like the preseason all-conference pick that, that that he was expected to be and, and that's made all the difference in the world because he was he was a little up and down before having to sit out the Houston game with a shoulder injury let's go to that Houston game for one second because I think <laughs> obviously you know most pundits placed Houston as the top team in the conference um, at the beginning of the year they were voted I think to win the whole thing um, win the mm-hmm. AAC and you know ranked in the top 25 and obviously had have had kind of an up and down year but you know yeah. teams kind of get amped up and lit up when they're knowing they're about to play the team that has been picked to win it all. Um, yeah. Tulane came into that game and obviously was down Michael Pratt. Um, yeah. Started Justin, is it Ibietta? Is that how you say his name? Yes. Ibietta. Um, he went out and then Kai Horton came in and started to play third string quarterback for Tulane. Yeah. What was, it was kind of eye opening, I think for everybody mm-hmm. and, and maybe even for you as well to see Tulane be able to do what you guys did to to Houston with a third string quarterback. What does that tell you about the team that on their third string quarterback, you'll still beat the, the consensus top team in the AAC. No, that was another, the Kansas state game to me was the eye opener because of the quality of the team. Houston's up and down, but there's no way. First of all, Houston playing at Houston had been a house of horrors for Tulane under Willie Fritz. Um, a few years ago, four years ago, Tulane actually had a chance to win the AAC West when they went to Houston. Tulane won five of their last six games in the regular season that year. The one game they didn't win was like 47 to 17 loss to a Houston team, but that was the only game they won. Right. And like that Houston team imploded. Um, that was the game where um, Ed Oliver um, got into a fight with his head coach on the sidelines and Tulane just, just completely capitulated in, in that game. So this is a place that's been just hadn't been kind to Tulane at all. And then to, yeah, to have Justin Ibia to go out now, Kai Horton, he did start, against Cincinnati last year um, when when Tulane also had injuries at quarterback. So he had that experience, but that was his only experience. And he he basically jammed a finger and broke a finger in the first quarter of that game and tried to play through it. So it, it was stunning of how well he played. And his numbers weren't always that great, but he threw a couple of passes in that game that are as good as you're ever going to see. His first touchdown pass in the first half, he was rolling to his right, had a tiny window, threw it right between two guys, for a touchdown and then they did nothing they had three first downs in six possessions from that point of the game all the way until they got down seven with about three minutes left in the fourth quarter and he made about five great passes they go straight down the field send it to overtime hold Houston to a field goal and then he, he makes another great pass on the on the winning touchdown and uh yeah that that's just a game that Tulane in the past 
had no chance to win in, in, in that situation. And, and that, that, that said a lot too. So, you know, a lot of a lot of people in Memphis know about New Orleans. They've been to New Orleans. It's a it's a it's a destination city um, that's pretty close to where we live. So it's you know everybody knows a lot about New Orleans. And I I would look at when you think about cities that are around each other, you look at St. Louis and you look at Memphis and you look at New Orleans. And there's a lot of similarities between those three cities. Um, you know, just a lot of similarities. But have you noticed like? And you mentioned it even earlier a little bit about the fan involvement and the support um, that that the Tulane Green Wave, you know, get to experience every single week. But, you know, New Orleans fans like the, the sports world is kind of separated amongst, you know, professional football, professional basketball, mm-hmm. Tulane, couple of colleges, things like that. With with this success that Tulane is having, have you noticed an increase in traffic around the Tulane football team? Is there a kind of an uptick in fan engagement and, and things like that? Honestly, just now, when the poll came out yesterday and Tulane was ranked 25th in the Associated Press in the coaches poll, because Tulane had not been in the top 25 of either poll since their undefeated season in 1998. And I'm talking about not for one week. That's a 24-year gap. I think there were only three teams in the FBS that had been playing that long that had not been ranked in in, 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 in that. I mean, it was in that span. It was, it was in, in one of the, like New Mexico State, those type of teams. And uh, that's how long it had been. And when you go that long without real winning, you lose your fan base. You lose the, the, the casual fan. They're, they're just not there. Um, I think there's been a lot of buzz around them getting ranked 25th, especially with Tulane fans. They're ahead of LSU. LSU is 26th <laughs> in the AP poll. Um, that that hadn't happened in, in a long time either. And so I think we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what the attendance is this this Saturday for, for Memphis because um, most of the stadium was empty for the East Carolina game. Now there was part. It was it was it was a fall break for the students. So they weren't around, but it just, there, there just weren't very many people at that game. Um, They've only, they sold out the very first game in their on-campus stadium against Georgia tech in 2014. And they've never come close to selling it out again. And it's a 30,000 seat stadium at at most. Um, I, it'll, I think there's a chance this week that you'll see a pretty packed stadium. And, and if Tulane keeps winning that, because you got to keep winning, I think, you'll finally see that that actual real like it being like a real college football interest in, in this team that just just simply hasn't been there since since they went undefeated 24 years ago. So Memphis and Tulane have a little bit of a history playing football against yeah. each other. Obviously, you know, there this this will be the uh 38th game in the in the series between uh Memphis and Tulane. Uh Memphis leads the series right now 24 to 13 with one tie. Um how do you think Tulane, its coaching staff, um, the players, and the fans are are looking at this week's game against Memphis. It'll it'll be interesting to see because after Tulane beat Kansas State, they said all the right things, but then they played Southern Miss at home. Actually, jumped out to a fourteen to nothing lead right off the bat. But then when Southern Miss came back, it really looked like the players were un were un, not expecting it, were unprepared for it, and went flat because they were kind of surprised that they were having to fight hard for the game. They'd kind of gotten too giddy with with that win and thought they they had arrived. Now they're in the top twenty five, which is a huge deal here because again, when you haven't had it happen in twenty four years, <laughs> that's that's a significant event. And Memphis is their first op- opponent after that, um, and, and and yet they're probably coming off their 
other than the Southern Miss game, they're probably coming off their worst performance against, against South Florida on, on Saturday. Really, it wasn't trending well for Tulane in the first half because uh, um, Jerry Bohannon, um, the, the South Florida quarterback, was having his way with Tulane passing and running. South Florida had taken a lead. They get the ball back. He goes on a nine-yard run, hurts his shoulder, and he's gone for the game, and that was it because their backup quarterback had no chance, and, 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 and Tulane won. So it was the first time the defense has shown any cracks at all this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. This is a really good football team. As Willie Fritz likes to say, when they come 100% invested in the game, they're absolutely not talented enough to just show up and, and, and play well without that investment because their talent level, although they, they're really experienced, they're still not at the level of real top teams, top to bottom. So they have to bring it every single week. And I think because Memphis is the opponent, We'll probably see that, but it, it will be interesting to see how the players handle all the attention that, that that's really coming to them for the first time with that top 25 ranking. Well, you mentioned to me before we started record, re- recording that you had actually watched the last two Memphis games mm-hmm. against Houston and against East Carolina. Um, just based on your perspective, like what what are you, what are you expecting in terms of, of this Memphis team coming into this game against Tulane? It'll be interesting because you know, the last time I did a lot of mem- media before a Memphis game was three years ago um, when Tulane was going to Memphis with a 5-1 record. And that year, actually, Tulane was one spot out of the top 25. I did radio. I predicted that Tulane would win that game. I think ESPN game day, half of their crew, they actually they picked the game. Half of them picked Tulane to win the game. And then the game started. And Memphis just completely out-athleted Tulane. It was a complete mismatch. And Tulane never was just just the, simply the better team. Um, that hadn't been the case when they played in New Orleans, but Memphis still has the skill position, but they've got a good quarterback. They, they've got a good passing game, and that, that's, the, that's the, the, the test for Tulane this week. So I, I'm really not sure what to expect. I will say, though, one, the biggest difference between the two teams that I see is tackling. Tulane's one of the best tackling teams I've ever seen. And I'm talking college, but it's unbelievable how good this team tackles and how fundamentally solid they are. Memphis, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 that's the, the the bubble screens. It used to be, I mean, Memphis could do anything they wanted three years ago when they were going to score. But the bubble screens that teams used to run against Tulane that would turn into sixty yard touchdowns that doesn't happen at all a- anymore. East Carolina play, had a whole game plan based on that two weeks ago and scored nine points because that that's that's not happening. You've got to you've got to you got to go long on this Tulane team to to beat them. And, and and we'll see if Memphis is capable, but Memphis still has Memphis has the skill position players to, to certainly give themselves a chance and, and just the passing scheme to give themselves a chance. Cause that has been typically Tulane's Achilles heel in the past. So is that one of the matchups you're looking forward to yep. seeing is the second Tulane secondary versus Memphis yep. passing attack? Yeah. And Tulane secondary is really experienced. They've got um, Macon Clark at Nickelback. He's a fifth year senior who's been starting for three and a half years. Um, Larry Brooks at safety. He's a fifth year senior who's been starting for three and a half years. Lummy Young, one of their transfer portal guys from Duke, had played, you know, thousands and thousands of plays at Duke before coming to to Tulane. Um, one of their only young guys is Jaden Candy, who was a cornerback who started every game as a true freshman last year. The second play of his career, he intercepted Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. So they've got the experience in the secondary, but they gave up. South Florida was get, hitting them. So the, Tulane hadn't given up big plays at all this year. In fact, the fewest of over 30 yards of any team in the country in South Florida hit them with, with about three or four 
in, in, almost in a row in, in the second quarter. So yet if Memphis isn't going to be able to run on Tulane, and, and the only way they run is if Tulane is completely selling out to stop the pass and is just allowing them to run. It's 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 all going to be based on can Memphis hit big plays against Tulane secondary and. I, I still need to see a couple more games from this Tulane secondary to know if they're really because I, I still remember that game three years ago, just the speed factor. It was just every it looked like every single Memphis skill position player was just a lot faster than every single Tulane skill position player. And 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 I, I want to see how that plays out this week. Well, if I can be, you know, just transparent on what I've seen from the Tigers this year, you know, you're you're talking about a team that that had Antonio Gibson. Uh, yeah, they were uh <laughs> Calvin Austin the third, you know, guys that were that are NFL level speed yep. and ability to escape and and right now I think that's one of the biggest struggles that the Tigers are having is they have big wide receivers that can catch the ball, but they can't get separation. Right? right. Like there's not an overwhelming sense of speed on the team, even in the mm-hmm. the running backs, the the receivers. Um, a lot of it is is just try to get open and Seth make the perfect pass, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think that's why you see some of the, some of the ups and downs and ebbs and flows for the Tigers is there are times, there are certain drives where Seth and the receivers are on the same page and he will absolutely dime a defense up, you know, on, yeah. you know, he did that in the, I think it was the final drive against ECU to tie the game. That was up. an impressive drive. Was that not an, <laughs> I mean, that, that was Seth and the receivers at their mm-hmm. finest, Mm-hmm. Um, it was the third quarter that you see and you're like, there, nobody's getting open. And when they mm-hmm. are open, they're dropping the balls, you know, like it's right. just, it, it definitely is, is, uh, you know, they, I think, I think Seth is definitely, is definitely missing like any team would a guy like Calvin Austin who can sure. get open and blow past anybody on the field. And, and when he mm-hmm. catches it, it's an 80 yard touchdown run anytime, you know, any given point, but um, in terms of in terms of the uh, Tulane offense versus the Memphis defense, what are some matchups you're looking forward to seeing? You know, in that uh, on that side of the ball. Well, first of all, Tajay Spears is looking forward to this game because uh, they still haven't stopped him from <laughs> for, from last year's game, and he really is. He's kind of an interesting guy because he had a he had a horrendous ACL tear. Like there's ACL tears, and then there's the ACL tear that he had against Southern Miss two years ago in September. And he almost he, he thought about quitting football. It was so hard for him to come back. And then last year, the first half, he, he I really think he's one of the most talented running backs in the country. And last year, the first half of the year, he wasn't really doing a whole lot. Started picking it up, had a couple of hundred yard games, but the game against Memphis, you saw him. And obviously Memphis had a lot to do with that, but you saw him in, in, in full flight of what he gained 256, 200, 250 yards. And then this last week, South Florida tied the game against Tulane in the third quarter. And the next play, he hits a 75 yard touchdown run. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of him in this game, but he's still some weeks. He doesn't always seem right. Like the funny thing is when Tulane beat Kansas state, he was almost used as a decoy. Um, there, there was something slightly off on him on that game. He, he, they used him in wildcat some, but they're, they actually used their other, their backup running back Iverson Celestine more, more than Spears. But, uh, and, and then the Houston game was all about Spears. So, but I think he, he's the first guy to watch because Memphis is going to have to prove they can slow him down because they couldn't slow him down at all last year. But again, this passing game, the receivers, they're just so different. Tulane lost that game to Memphis last year because they couldn't throw. Um, and again, Pratt wasn't healthy, so that that made a factor. But but the receivers just couldn't get separation against anybody last year. And now 
they're the, the two new transfers are their two best receivers and they returned almost everybody else and they got better. Um, and uh, so it's a balanced offense. You can't just stop the running game and figure you've got the, the beat on Tulane cause, cause they can, they can throw too. Um, so I, it, it, it's both. I, I look for Spears first, but it, it, but if he's not having the same type of game that he did last year, Tulane can easily throw the ball on almost every down and be successful. So let's do this. Let's um, do a hypothetical. Um, let's say you're you're at the you're you're at the stadium on Saturday. Tulane has won the game. It's the end of the game. Tulane has actually won the game, um, which they're coming in favored to win the game this year. Um, you get the box score. And you're looking at the box score. What is what is the trend, or the stat, or whatever that you're looking at to say this is why Tulane won the game? Yeah. First, I'm I'm looking to see if Memphis, how many plus twenty yard plays Memphis had because it's it's just hard to it's hard to drive the length of the field without big plays in in, in college football consistently, and that's the way Tulane's been been playing all year. And again, I can't emphasize enough this this tackling that Tulane's doing because it. it yeah, it sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, Willie Fritz has always preached it, but the, it, it, they just they rally to the ball so well that even if the first guy doesn't bring a guy down, there's not an open space after that. And and up until the two possessions in a row against USF, teams just weren't getting any big plays against this defense. So that would that would be the first thing I would I would assume that Tulane had held the big plays down. And then the second thing would be the balance on offense. The Tulane. Because um, really, the USF game was the first time Tulane's running game and passing game have clicked at, at the same time, and I feel like that's probably going to happen a lot more in in the second half of the year because Michael Pratt's healthy and Tajay Spears is just a sensational running back. Um, so those are the two things I'm looking for. Balance. I would if Tulane wins, balance on offense and limiting the big plays. And if they do that, assuming there's not a big turnover advantage for for Memphis or something like that, I think Tulane will come out with the win. Listen, Gary, thank you, man. I really it's it's always a pleasure to talk to um, someone who's not only covered the team for a long time, but has been in the city that they're covering and just understands the tone and tenor of the of the college and, and the kids and everybody who's there. So I really appreciate you joining me. Thanks for having me on. I, I love being on. Thank you for listening to Behind Enemy Lines. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in content all about the University of Memphis Tiger Athletics, hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Also, you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for our VIP membership. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.